named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add, adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark Wall. I'm joined by Sam Hunter. Sam, how are you, my friend? Good morning, Mark. Hello, listeners. Uh, we were just saying off air, I'm feeling a bit crook today. Crook, uh, come on, what is crook? Tell the listeners what crook. You've not been, you've not been robbing on the uh, weekend, right? No, I haven't been robbing on the weekend. Uh, I actually, I've uh, just got a cold. Um, so I think I, whenever I get like sick, I feel very sorry for myself because I'm like, why don't I feel good? I took this for granted. What is it like having a clear nose and not a sore throat? So yeah, no, I, uh, I'm crook. Have you been, have you been through that over the last few days of saying oh, I'm not feeling very well? But it's not COVID, which basically yeah. have to follow whenever anyone says that these days. I've uh, gone through a week's worth of lateral flow tests just to make sure that it's not. But I am <laughs> I'm staying home rather than going back into the office just to make sure that I don't spread whatever it is to anybody else. Um, I think we're a bit cheeky. Uh, we, we went and had a golf day on Friday last week. Um, and believe it or not, uh, the Home Search team actually won golf day. Uh, so hey. special, special shout out to uh, Jack Nichols, Simon Gates, and Matt Evans uh, for playing much. You have Jack Nichols on your team? We did have Jack Nichols, not Nicholas, but he did play like Jack Nichols. He got two birdies and two eagles. So nice. yeah, he played out of his skin and won the day for us, which was, it was, it was actually a really magnificent day. But for whatever reason, shaking someone's hands picked me up a cold. So here we go. Anyway, probably here to talk about real estate, not golf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's 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 turn up the uh, the positive vibes. So to say, when we do these recordings on a Tuesday, it's always it's always certainly one of the best day of the week. Start with energy, start with positivity. Um, so let's have a quick chat about. I've had a bit of progress with the property that we talked about last week. The one that I felt had um, gone uh, that other agents had gone top on the price. And um, I mentioned that it had gone on, on the market. It has now sold. So I was wrong. So I've got to put my hands up and say that, um, yeah, I fucked up, basically. One of you uh, messed up. Um, keep it a kid-friendly show. But it's difficult, <laughs> right? We, we were sort of having a conversation earlier about how it, it's not as simple as putting a value on a home. In a rising market, particularly one where it's it's risen beyond anyone's real expectations, you know. And I think actually it's probably a good time to sort of um, pause normal programming and maybe have a, a conversation fifteen or twenty minutes on how do you get around maybe not knowing what the real price is going to be, you know, and actually being okay with wanting to test the market and understand things. And um, secondly, like. I remember we were having this conversation last week and you sort of said there's no way in the world that that property sells for that price. It's, it's a crazy record for the area, not just the street. But maybe that agent had the buyer. You know, maybe they had had shown them something pretty similar. They'd missed out to a property that had already sold above whatever its asking price was and they had someone in their pocket and they knew they'd pay that money. So 
there's more variables than just that guy's gone out there and overvalued it. And I think it's important that we sort of run through how do you structure a valuation? Let's talk about a listing presentation. So how do you structure a listing presentation so that price doesn't really matter? It does, obviously, at the end of the day, but you've got to understand their expectations first rather than set your own because uh, then you give yourself every chance of securing the business, but you're taking out the risk of missing it to someone who comes in and just throws a really sky high price out there. Whether they get it or not is irrelevant. The fact is that they got the instruction up instead of you and that's what for everyone listening as well. Whether they sell it or not is irrelevant. They've got the opportunity. And this podcast is all about making sure that we deliver on more opportunities for people who listen to this show so that you've got more stock in your books, so you're selling more houses, so you're serving more people. Yeah, 100%. And I, th- and I think that's, that's a really good point. Is I think there's, I always think with estate agency, there's trainer world and then real world. And you need to try and take as much from trainer world, which I suppose is some of the stuff we talk about in this podcast, some of the stuff that you see at events or, or, or trainers, take as much of that and implement it into the real world. Not 100% of it is going to stick. Now, one of the things that is always spoken about in trainer world is that the valuation should not affect the pitch or it shouldn't be. We have to talk about it as a market appraisal rather than a valuation or a marketing meeting or whatever your terminology is because the valuation is irrelevant. Well, that's all well and good. And maybe, you know, 50% of the time you can, you can make it irrelevant, but ultimately there will be those examples like the one that we, we, we talked about last week, like the one that we're discussing now where actually the appraisal and the pitch, for want of a better word, could not go better. But if you get the valuation wrong, as I did, then you're you're not going to win the business. So what we always talk about at our appraisals is that actually we don't set the price. So we, we, we talk about price. We say, look, we don't set the price. You don't set the price. The market sets the price. And the market is doing this at the moment. And it's not an exact science. This is sort of the range that I think it, it, it should be in. And that works an awful lot, but it didn't work for me on this occasion. And it didn't work because I was wrong. But actually, sometimes you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And actually, I'm analyzing this much more than I would have analyzed if I'd have got it on the market and sold it. Because I think as an agent, you are always competitive. All the good agents are competitive, I think. Anyway, you're always competitive. And actually, you want to win every single listing. So it's the, those ones that you miss out on that hurt. I know Chris Watkins says you've got to get used to it, and but it sometimes I don't think you know Pep Guardiola doesn't like losing, for example. Um, and when you do lose, you've got to sit down and analyse it because you've got to then improve on on the next one, which I did do. But um, yeah, it still hurts, and you've got to talk to the client about their motivations and try and find out why, as as hard as you can try to make the price irrelevant, fifty grand, fifteen percent. Um, at basically at that sort of price and they've broken a record on the street by 15% which is phenomenal but I am finding valuing in this market quite challenging because the well, land registry data is out of date six months in this market is an awful long time um, and I think I've got to encourage agents that listen to be honest with clients at appraisal stage in relation to the valuation if there is you know, lack of comparable evidence or you know, you talked about potentially valuing on motivation more than comparables. So do you want to talk a little bit about maybe how you would approach that? Because these were clients 
in this instance, who were highly motivated to move, but felt that the price was wrong. So I think that was all um, really useful points. And you definitely do learn more. Well, you're forced to learn when you miss out on something. Yeah. Right? When you win something, you don't actually learn. You just think you're really good. And, and I saw a <laughs> post from John Paul. I think it was John Paul the other day. And he asked the question, are you running your business or is the market? And yeah, that's a great question. Like, to anyone listening who has missed out to, let's call them a traditional overvaluing agent, take heart <laughs> in that the market is running their business at the moment. You know, there's not a lot of thought behind the scenes. They are winning business on price and fee. Yeah. And when the market turns, they'll struggle. Yeah. How you can sort of combat that now is to try and make it, and, and you've got to build bridges. You know, if someone's going to walk in there and whether they get the price or not is completely irrelevant. We're talking about winning the business, right? The reality is if you'd won that instruction at the price that you put it on the market for, you would have negotiated them close to what they agreed anyway. You know? So for me, and I really like what you said about you don't set the price, the owner doesn't set the price, the market sets the price. The, the sort of line that I used to throw out to people is all prices is a mechanism for getting people through your front door. Yeah. You know, if that mechanism is too high, people don't buy it. You know, if something I, I always use a bottle of Coke as an analogy, you know, and so back then a bottle of Coke was $2.20 or whatever it was for a 600 mil bottle of Coke. And I was like, if suddenly a bottle of Coke was four bucks, would you buy it? Remember, no, I bet you go and buy the Pepsi or, you know, Sprite or whatever it was, but because it's $2.20, it's attractive. You want a bottle of Coke, that's a fair price. I'm going to buy it, see you later. That is marketing. That's what pricing does, right? That's how you can price things. Now, property, estate agency, real estate, whatever you want to call it, is, is very, very, very similar in that if people can sniff a bargain, they'll run at it, particularly yeah. in property because there are so many emotions involved. So if we're talking about your home, we'll get to pricing in seconds for Mrs. Bender. If we go too high, no one comes to the door and you and I are the only people talking to each other. And that's not what we want. That's not a good campaign, you know? And actually, we can't really go too low because the market's moved. So there's absolutely no risk of us underpricing your home at the moment because we're going to have 50 people interested fighting over the scraps and we'll go, well, actually, guys, there's 50 of you. So that suggests the price needs to be where it needs to be. In terms of how you go about pricing on motivation, helping to understand people. I think you've just got to slow things down at, at a presentation. If the market's fast, your listing presentation needs to be slow. Yeah. Kind of sounds counterintuitive because everyone else is like, yep, it's worth 375. We'll take the photos today. We'll get it on the right move. There's loads of buyers. Now, do I think that that's what happened? I think partly yes, but I also do think they would have had somebody ready to go because they've got that result so quickly and it is so significant above everything else in that road. They've had a buyer that understands the market. And that property was for them. So that's actually probably good estate agency, despite there being a, a case for overvaluing. But it's where you've got to sit down with them. You've got to understand what they love about their house, how they first came across that property. You know, what price did you buy it for? We bought it for 140. Can I ask, what was it on the market for? You know, yeah. because if it was on the market at 130 and they paid 140, they're going to understand prices and mechanisms. If it was on at 160 or it was on at 180 and it came down to, 140 because it was on for six months then they're going to understand the pressure that comes with missing the mark too much on price you know it's talking about 
when you're talking about the comparables, you've got to help them understand what they're comparing it to. So I love that question of like, first you ask what, what made them buy the house, you know, because that's going to be yeah, what makes the next person buy that. But actually it's like, right, what, you know, we're not here to, to judge too harshly, but where do you think your house is sitting right now at a 10, 10 being, you know, opulent? No one's house is opulent, by the way. Um, I always laugh when I see estate agents market lovely homes and they use the word opulence because opulence is palatial, you know, and it's probably a new palace. Mm. I don't even think you would describe something like Buckingham Palace as opulent because the curtains are probably 30 years old. But it, 10 is genuinely opulent and one is the shithole, you know. Most people, yeah. because they're house proud and in their minds, at the point that you come to sell your house, it's never worth more, right? Yeah, That's just exactly. emotions talking. They're going to say it's a seven or an eight, right? So then when you go to comparables, you've got that seven or eight sat in your back pocket. And you can say, well, I saw this one. And it was probably a nine. And it got 240, you know? This one was a six, which is why it only got 220. And so suddenly you're giving them a reference point that's easier to understand outside of bedroom, square foot. You know, it was a sunny day when the people came through. And then for me, you know, you can talk to them. Like I said, to, I really like that. We don't set your price. You don't set your price. The market does. But actually, your motivations really help that. Because if you guys need a result tomorrow, then the price should be, my recommendation, that it will be different to if you're under no pressure to sell. You know? And that's where you can start saying, like, have you bought yet? No, we haven't bought yet. Great. You know, talking about what Matt Giggs said last week. You know, if you sell before you buy, you find yourself under significantly less pressure. You actually end up with 40 grand more in your pocket because of that less pressure on average across the country, which is a phenomenal statistic to be talking to people about, you know? When do you need to move? What are you looking for? Have you sold before? Have you bought before? How was that experience? And then it comes down to, um, you know, right, let's, we're getting close to price. So what are the three most important things that you want from your estate agent? Everyone's gonna say, honesty, a fast sale and the highest price, right? And then this yeah. gives you an opportunity to lay some landmines for everyone else. So, right, honesty is important on both sides. Fast sale, well, we've talked about your motivations. You guys don't need to move. So let's aim to get you the absolute best buyer within 14, 15 days, not sell it tomorrow to the first person that comes through the door. You know, and that'll take care of the best price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say to them, so let's talk about that best price. Do you have a price range in mind? And you start to understand where their motivations are. Because remember, this is not about winning the instruction by giving just the highest price you know this is about doing the best job you can that listing presentation so if someone comes back in and values that home at a higher price you then get the opportunity to say i'd be prepared to test it at that level but i won't put it on the market for that you know i'll call five people who i know are looking for exactly your home and we'll test it at 375 or whatever the price was. If they buy it, fantastic. If they don't buy it, let's agree what that price looks like before we take it to market. If that's the only reason you're going with them because they gave you a higher price, then I'm happy to test it at that without doing any damage to the property whatsoever by putting it out to the wider market. I've got five people that I know, and this is why you should always go to a listing presentation with buyers in hand. Like that's the one beautiful thing and I'm really conscious I've been talking for like 10 minutes. So I'm going to shut up in a second. But this is the one really, 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 truly beautiful thing about this market that we're in right now. 
you, every single person listening to this show is going to have somebody who will buy every single valuation that you go into. You're probably going to have four or five people. If you're not walking into those valuations with their names and phone numbers on a piece of paper so that you can text them while you're in the valuation with a photo of the back garden or whatever it is, again, this comes back to winning the instruction. Prices are relevant. Yeah. You're showing great service. You know, if someone says, well, they said it was this, but they didn't go and do all this other stuff, they're not going to get it. You know, and you'll say, well, I'll test it with them. You know, again, imagine you've got the names and numbers of five buyers and you say, can I take a photo of your back garden in your kitchen? And can I send these guys a WhatsApp with the images to say, bring this to market. It's on at this price. Do you want to come and see it? Yeah, it's very powerful. Like if, if they are good buyers, as you say they are, and they will be because you wouldn't have written their name and phone number down on a piece of paper to take to evaluation if they weren't, you're going to get someone replying in 60 seconds, two minutes, five minutes. Can I come, can I come while now? you're still there? Either not at that price, right? Or, yeah, can I come sit this afternoon? And you know what's going to happen. One, you've got amazing price feedback that's going to stop the overvaluing. Second thing that's going to happen is you're going to get a signed listing agreement because you're going to take that buyer through that evening at that price. And then you might do a deal. My suggestion there would be just to test the market. My job is to get you the most money. Let's give it an open day or let's give it some uh, block viewings or whatever we do over here, right? We need to start bringing open homes in this country. It just makes life so much easier. Can um, we do them now? I don't know if we can do them because you weren't allowed previously, but you probably can now. Yeah, it's a restrictionless society we live in now, Mark. <laughs> and, um, uh, that was my 10-minute rant on, on how you slow down valuation of fast market and make it everything about price and actually you, you use you capitalize on the market activity on buyer sentiment activity to win the instruction then and thereby bringing them with you on about yeah i think you're right i think actually you know slowing down at that stage rather than saying right we can get you on the market that's really in line with what we do at moving works and our uh, marketing strategy you talk you use the word as you were talking in there and it's it comes from australia we don't talk about it enough in this country you know it's, what does a su- successful campaign look like what i really liked as well is you talked about no risk of underpricing and i think actually abigail gray talked about it was it abigail gray no laura how it was uh talked about it a few weeks ago that you know we let everyone see it so that there is there, therefore no risk of underpricing i think actually just those four words, if I'd have added that into my valuation pitch a couple of weeks ago, it would have been a very different outcome um, based on the strategy and the um, seller's motivations. So actually, that's something that I can definitely take from that. And I really like your idea of rating the property one, one to ten um, com- comparables because, as you say, it, it makes it very, very easy to actually make it relatable to their property without without saying, well, this one was nicer than yours, which effectively is what you are saying, but not quite as, as, as brutal. Um, you talked about the Coke analogy there. One of my favorites on that is um, a slightly different analogy, a donut analogy, because donuts can go stale in the window if you price them too high. And everyone that walks past the bakery knows how long that donut has been there. It's a Richard Rawlings um, favorite. And I think one of the problems with property in this country if it sits on the market is it does go stale. And actually trying to explain that to clients is, 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 is quite a challenge. Um, so actually, you know, a bottle of Coke doesn't go stale, to be fair, I'm at least not, not in this country. Um, but a donut very, you know, very quickly will go stale and properties do. However, what you talked about is looking at buyer's motivation and saying, you know, 10 to 15 days. One thing that I've got at the moment is a couple of properties that have been on the market and stuck on the market. 
Um, well, I say stuck on the market. They've been on the market a couple of weeks, which in this market feels like mm. they are stuck. So I've had a couple of you know very frank conversations with both the owners to say, look, the market is fast moving. We have to take that into consideration and look at changing our strategy quickly, but also have to acknowledge that we're in, we might be in a really fast market, but some properties will still take longer than two weeks to sell because some properties just do take more than more than two weeks to sell. And actually, it, I found it quite difficult with those two properties um, as we were moving into the second week, having done a block viewing, having expected to sell it, and then having to change not only the vendor's expectations, but my expectations as well. Mm. And, you know, to talk about a price reduction on these, like sort of 10, you know, 15 grand maybe, after a period of two weeks, is all well and good, but actually the owner is sitting there and they're not in the market every day. So it does, it's much less effective to them because their expectation, even though you've said, right, the market's really fast moving, we think we will sell it in this time period, their expectation is still based on the last time they sold the house, which still, you know, their one client took them six months to sell the house. So he's saying, well, you know, I'm not in a rush. And I'm saying, well, look, the market's moving fast. We have to acknowledge that. Um, and he said, look, we're, we're fine. We're fine where we are. Um, and actually, I think there is a bit of a shift in expectation needed. And you probably, as an agent at the moment, need to be maybe a little bit more flexible with both your expectations and molding the client expectations, um, which is something else that I found quite challenging over the last few weeks because we, I think, you know, you said about um, is the market running your business? And I think that's a really valid point. There are agents that will just list and they take the gamble on the price. They list and, you know, the market helps them sell. Whereas the other agents, most of the agents that we get on this show will be doing a campaign as you talked about to make sure they're extracting maximum value. And that works in the best market, but it also works in the worst market, probably much more effective in the worst market. Um, Agreed. It just it just works, I think, is the way to describe Like you, your business should be structured and your campaigns and your service offering and the results shouldn't be contingent on there being a hundred people looking to buy something or one person looking, right? You're always looking for the best buyer. Um, and if you follow the right strategy and you market and you get the price as right as you possibly can be, or you get the campaign and the strategy as right as you possibly can, then that does take care of itself. You know, the, if you follow the process, you get the outcome. Um, it's an interesting point you make about that setting your expectations. I think it's really valid. I think agents have expectations of getting fast results as well. And when they yeah. don't, they go back 100%. into their shell. And to, to hear that you're having conversations about, you know, campaign adjustments, price of realignments, whatever you want to call them after two weeks is fantastic, right? That's really professional. And there aren't enough people doing that. Those people may be saying to you, we're in no rush, but the reality is they're on the market. You know, the people who aren't in a rush don't have a sale board at the front of the house at the moment. Yeah. And actually you can test their motivations by finding them something they want to buy. But actually what you can do is call everyone that came back through. And this is a, a tactic that I used to use um, just before we would reduce the price, right? Yeah. So that we would do our best to protect the vendor's price. But we understood. That's a job. Yeah. But we understood that if what what our job is and doing our best was to still get them sold. So we would call everybody that came through a campaign. And usually we would talk about pricing. If it had a price on it and wasn't going to auction, we would have a conversation about price in week three, and then we would reduce price in week four. But after we had that initial conversation about the price, I'd ask, I'd say to the vendor, do I have your permission to call everyone else that's seen it through and tell them there's going to be a price reduction in seven days time? And they'd say, why do you want to do that? 
And I say, well, it's going to bring in a whole tranche of new buyers. They might be waiting to see anything else out there. And we need to give them a sniff of an opportunity to be buying it, you know, maybe less than the asking price. So if you did that block viewing, you had everyone through, and their feedback wasn't, it's just not the home for us. If there was any price feedback whatsoever, I'd be calling all of them and I'd be saying, property's coming down in price, you know, in the next week. I want to let you know because there will be new activity. And if you thought it was worthwhile for you, come back and see it again. You can make an offer at whatever level you feel comfortable, but you might just beat out the next wave of competition once we reduce the price to attract new people through. And it would always result in one or two people coming back for a second viewing. And once you get them in there, you say, listen, if this is the house for you, what do you want to pay for it? Your job now is to present offers. You know, I would be treating any property that isn't sold in the first two to three weeks as like it's a really shit market and you've just got to present offers. You know, that's how you're going to get results. That's how you're going to keep that instruction. That's how you're going to get those prices moved to where they need to be is by presenting offers rather than just saying, we didn't get anyone through the door. We didn't get any feedback. You know, you've probably already met that buyer. You just need to get them, get the buyer motivated at the right price as well. And talking to them about seeing it before a price reduction comes back, comes through, is a nice way of feeding their own greed. It's exactly the same as offering somebody an off-market view in effectively, isn't it? Good point. Yeah, it, it's more, you know, if it's on the market at 250 and you're going to bring it down to 225, then everyone looking at 200 is suddenly going to be interested. You know, that's where you'll get them stretching, but these people just need to sense a bargain. So do you want to see it before the price gets reduced? Yeah, I, yeah, I've never, I've never even thought about that, but actually, that makes that makes perfect sense. And what you're saying to your client, as as you, you know, alluded to right at the start of that, is we're doing our very best to protect your asset, um, and so we're going to have conversations before we reduce the price. We're going to tell people that we are going to reduce it, and let's get some more people through. And as you say, it shows that's a much better conversation than saying, if we've not had anything in the next week let's look at reducing the price. You're saying, right, okay, well, the strategy is we'll reduce the price next week, but what we're going to do in the meantime is we're going to ring everyone that's been through, everyone that we've spoken to, everyone that's, you know, interacted with us in relation to this property and, you know, taught them that there's going to be a price reduction. Would they be interested in having a look before it does? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really good advice. And going right back to what we talked about at the start of the show and valuing and the challenge of valuing in this market, if you are testing the price and going to the open market at a value that, maybe didn't align with um, with your thoughts or that was a, a punchy value, then actually you can bring it all back to this. And I think that's, you know, really good advice for agents talking to clients who are sat on the market because I'm sure there's agents listening to the show like like I was last week thinking, oh, this property's not sold, it's been on the market two weeks, what's going on? <laughs> it's, you know, it is unusual in this market and it, sometimes you need to just um, hone your skills a little bit, I would say. Yeah, and, and, and it is like you hit the nail on the head. Um, you temper your own expectations and you have your process. So you know what you're doing at week two. Good market, bad market, doesn't matter. At week two, we're having a conversation about this. We've not had a result. At week three, we're going to do this. At week four, and I'd be actually presenting that to the client as part of that listing presentation. It's almost, it's a campaign calendar. You know, we used to do auction calendars. So we plan out Wednesday night, open home, Saturday, open home, Wednesday night, open home, Saturday, open home. Then from week three and week four, it was, if they wanted a second viewing, they could do it then. If people wanted to come through and do a building and pest inspection, they could do it then. And then the fourth Saturday was the auction, you know? And they'd be like, this is when I'm doing my callbacks. This is when I'm going to invite people for a second viewing. This is when I'm going to do auction prep with your buyers. And you present all this to say, someone else comes in and says, yeah, we'll do an auction. There's no way they're winning that business. 
you know, so talking about that. So week one, week two, you know, do this, launch your private buyers, talk to these five people, you know, week one, first open home, seven days after we launch it, we're going to do block viewings. We get offers and we sell it great. If we don't, we're going to have a review meeting on day 14. If we don't get any interest between that, we're going to have a price chat on day 21. Then we're going to talk to people who've seen it in the last three weeks about the price is going to move, get them through for any second viewings. We haven't achieved a result that we deem is more than acceptable by day 28, so fourth week. Then we adjust the price to a level that we're both comfortable moving forward. Yeah, you talk about that at a meeting, that tempers your expectations, that keeps you professional, hones your skills, and it sets them up well as well. And also it sets up some of those, maybe not landmines, because you don't want to step on your own landmines, but it sets up those conversations much further down because what you're actually saying here is this is a strategy. And then typically you might get a client, in my opinion, saying, well, look, that doesn't really work for us. We're not in a rush. And you can relate it back to this is a process that we've done time and time again. And actually this is a process that makes sure that you get the most money for the property because if you do just sit and you don't have those reviews in week three and week four, then actually what will result is the property will go stale on the market, like the donut analogy, if you've talked about that, it will go stale on the market. And then actually, if you're having those conversations in week eight and week nine, the damage has already been done because people can see how long the property's been on the market. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Cool, excellent. Right, well, um, I've got loads to now add to my uh, valuation pitch. I'll be re- re- rewriting that with the team here now as we as we head into our meeting. So massive thank you, Sam, for that. There's loads of um, conversations that I'll be having where we'll be saying that there is certainly no risk of underpricing a property. It's you know very difficult to do. Um, as you know, we do this because we love our industry. We want to see it get better. If you have enjoyed um, today, do us a favour. Um, screenshot the... Um, podcast today that you're listening to if you're listening to it on your phone share it out on social media and um, drop it into your stories drop us a message we're really, really grateful to hear from you i'm our he's Hunter. thank you very much we'll see you again next week